0: you're listening to the precision shooting podcast discussing all aspects of precision and long-range rifle shooting this episode is brought to you by impact dynamics advanced training for the precision shooter and now over to your host
1: Well, hello and welcome to the Precision Shooting Podcast. This is episode number 10 and I'm Rusty. With me tonight is Nick Halliwell from Ignition Custom Engineering. G'day, Nick. How are you?
0: Pretty good. Thanks for having me.
1: No problems, mate. Thanks for coming in. Now, uh, can you tell us a little bit about
0: Ignition Custom Engineering? Well, Ignition Custom Engineering, we're a, a custom fabrication shop specializing in basically anything that other people don't want to or they can't do. Um, any unusual modifications to firearms or firearm fabrication from scratch, custom builds—pretty mm-hmm. uh, much anything we can handle and do. Yeah, right. So that's uh, that's pretty. Is that pretty different to what's out in the marketplace? Um, we, we've tend to found that not many people do the sort of work that we can do, mm-hmm. um, or they just uh, they they tend to steer away from it. They throw it in the too hard basket. They a lot don't of people wanna. like to. Yeah, we we change triggers and we do a betting job, and that's that's gunsmithing. They don't think about the the ground up fabrication or making a part from scratch that takes a day
1: yeah right okay so we're certainly going to get into a little bit more about that uh, as we go along um but uh how did you get started in in this industry and, and progress to the point where you ended up running a business in it um
0: sort of a long wouldn't say a long-winded story but um i'm ex-military i was a uh, armored corps driver used to drive apc carriers yep and uh, the reservists and uh obviously i got to play with 50 cows and all sorts of other stuff um I'm actually a toolmaker machinist by trade so I used to make uh, high quality tooling uh for you know uh, a lot of large companies that a lot of people would probably know mm-hmm. um, and later on I uh, decided to you know sort of expand and get into uh, other areas and uh, through my career and eventually you know an advertisement went up one day for a uh, a fit of machinist uh qualified machinist that needed a, you know um firearms license and I thought, I reckon I know what that is. So I yeah. <laughs> <laughs> threw my name in the hat and yep. I ended up working for a company. Um, did that for a fair while. Um, would have been about five, six years ago, I think it was. Sure. Um, didn't really like the way it was going and progressing. We had a, a disagreement on a few little issues. Yep. So we parted ways and opened up my own shop and um, pretty much here I am today.
1: And you're... you're- Doing this full-time now?
0: Yes, yes. This is a uh, full-time job. Um, I'm just about to officially take on Apprentice. We're just signing off all the paperwork at the moment, so we're yeah, right. expanding. Uh, we're doing quite well out of it. So, so The, the we're, growth we're... is going good. Yeah, yeah. We're doing quite well. And, and how long has that been running for, Nick? Um, Ignition Customs has been up and running for about two and a half years, I think, but I've been solo in there now for basically about a year, full-time for a year.
1: Yeah, right, and now you're taking on, on another one. Yeah, so yeah I've,
0: got, I've got enough work to keep me going. That's keeping me busy.
1: Excellent. So wh- what would you say the, the majority of your work that you, you do, wh- what's it based around?
0: Um, I'd have to say the majority is... Uh, the most common thing I probably do is uh, barrel threads uh, and put muzzle brakes on. A lot of guys get a gun out of the factory, yep. a brand new uh, whatever it might be, and uh, if they've gone out and bought, say, a thirty oh six for hunting and they've realised the recoil is just um, a little bit sharper than what they were expecting and the... Uh, Getting a follow-up shot uh, can be quite hard, so because yep. they're recalling too much. So, uh, barrel threads and muzzle brakes are quite common.
1: Sure. Yep.
0: And and you're doing you're
1: doing complete builds as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, we can obviously uh, source any part that we need. Um, you know, say if, uh, Greg. Yep. Uh, yep. yep, sorry. Greg, for say, yeah. say if Greg wants a defiance action, I can certainly <laughs> source one for him because I, I heard
1: his wife allowed him to get one now. Yeah, no, I f- think I think he wanted three last three? time. Three, yeah. All right, I'll so put that on can, the cards. I'll, that'll uh, be I'll, great. I'll, I'll invoice him soon. Probably a short action and a long action, and I think he wants to give one to me. So just make that a, a long you action. You wanted well. the 338XL, didn't you? Sure. Yeah, yep. sure, that one. That uh, two one. of them. Yeah. Two yeah. of them. Greg's playing. We're in.
0: Yeah, no worries. Thanks, Greg. Anyway. Yeah, I source a lot of parts from overseas, obviously barrels, actions, triggers. Um, I'm a authorised distributor for Macmillan as well as Manners okay, um, and uh, multiple other uh, smaller parallel items uh, Timneys as well and, and yeah, a bunch right. of other things so I can obviously work with what people have already got mm-hmm. if they want a, um, a full complete uh, trigger job on a, a pre-existing trigger because nothing else exists yes. um, I'll work over an existing trigger for say might be a, a really old lever action I've currently got a 1916 um, old uh, Savage which is in 22 high power. Yes, okay. <laughs> um, yep. And obviously there's nothing that exists for those. And no. when they want something modified or fixed or repaired, um, I've got to fabricate it from scratch. There's just nothing available. So
1: Yeah, right. Hmm. Oh, very good. And so w- can you tell us some of the, the cooler projects that you've been working on? Um,
0: I'm just about finished uh, a customer's build at the moment. He has a Enfield 4570 uh, single-shot falling block.
1: Wow. Yep. Um
0: and I have grafted it into a whiskey three KRG sashi, and it's a uh, it's a behemoth right. of a build. Yeah. It's a thirty three inch straight barrel, no taper. The thing weighs, I think, seventeen ton. I think it's got a wheelbarrow <laughs> that comes with it. Um, um. And uh, he basically built it because he didn't like the old style. Um, a lot of the guys down the club, oh, you've got to have a mauser with a nice wood grain style, you can't have anything else. Sure. And he got really sick of the old, uh, the old fuddy-duddies down the club, and he, he wanted something to put him to shame, and he just wanted something different. So, so he's put
1: a falling block into a, into a KRG Whiskey 3.
0: Yeah, well, he didn't actually want it grafted into the chassis. He right. wanted the chassis adapted to the receiver. Yeah, right. Yeah, so it's actually in two pieces, and it's bolted on separately. We've still got the pistol grip. <laughs> We've had to modify the lever, basically rebuild the lever from scratch, all mm-hmm. the fore-end. Um, it's getting a Picatinny rail on it and everything, and it's uh, all getting seracoded.
1: That's... um. That's certainly a bit different to what I was expecting you to say but yeah, that's, that's cool that's man. that's
0: one of the ones that I've got. Um I've I do a lot of 7615 or 7600 pump rifles, a lot of conversions for those.
1: What sort of conversions do you mean? What's...
0: Um well the current one which I've got in the shop which has gone off for testing and come back again um we're pretty happy with now is it takes 762 by 39 the older people uh, international people know it as the AK ammo. Yes. Uh but locally it's the SKS. Yes. Um, yep. And it also takes the proper 30-round SKS magazines. Oh, sorry, the SKK magazines to go with it as well. So the receiver's been completely modified. Yeah, wow. Um, and everything else has <laughs> had a lot of extensive work on it. Uh, <laughs> we also put an M16, M16-style M um, sixteen extractor Shaker. claw on it, so the yep. whole bolt was rebuilt basically from the ground up. Yeah, wow. Because um, nothing existed for it. And obviously, we came across firing pin issues that came along with that. Obviously, then the trigger mechanism, was uh, the, the fulcrum point was different, so we had to modify part of that. And then the spring rate was down. Uh, because steel case ammo's got a little bit harder primer on it, mm-hmm. so we had we had to modify a fair few things to get that thing to cycle properly and function. Um, but yeah, now we've actually got it running pretty good now. Um, so he's coming back down very shortly to pick that up, and that's for an interstate customer.
1: That's uh, that's very different. Yeah. So you you obviously you um, do you do trigger jobs and bedding and all that sort of gear as well. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, we do uh most of the custom builds I do a lot of. Um, a lot of people tend to bring me um, an idea and they'll say, listen, I want to build a gun for long range um, or I want to build a gun for hunting. Uh, what options do I have? So they'll, um, we'll basically go through what sort of style of gun they want. Some guys like Remington, some like Ticker, some like Howers. Um, it, it, there's also, you know, a variety is the spice of life. So they'll say, I want a gun that shoots uh, this style of shooting yep. and then we'll, then we'll start to figure out the concept of what they want. It's, you're not going to walk into a car dealership and say, I just want a new car. And they're like, well, what do you want? Yeah, go, oh, it's just, just a new one that's really fast. <laughs> so you've got to figure out exactly what sort of style of shooting you want, whether it's hunting, long range, um, target shooting, club shooting level, um, you know, high accuracy work for bench rest, all that sort of stuff. So there, there's many, many flavors that people can sort of head into. Mm. So I have to try to figure out um, what they want at first. And then we'll tailor a package. But yeah, I certainly do um, full accuracy builds. Uh, We accurize actions beginning to end, spiral flute the bolts, um, do all the bedding work, change out the recoil lugs, um, mix and match basically anything they want. Um, But all the machining is done by hand. There's no CNC. So if they want spiral fluting on the bolt or custom whatever they want, it's it's all by hand, all personally done.
1: Yeah. Wow. So, yeah. Obviously, you do all the the standard sort of gunsmithing stuff, but on top of that, you you pretty much won't say no. Almost, it sounds
0: like we haven't said no yet, <laughs> okay. which much to our dismay. Sometimes, I bet. Yeah. Uh, we, we've had some very very interesting projects. Um, one guy at the moment, uh, he's wanting he wanted a fifty cal pump action rifle, and he couldn't figure out a way to do it. Yep. So. We basically came to the conclusion. I, I coaxed him into the position. I said, "Listen, if you're after the 50 cal, why not go for the 500 Smith and Wesson?" Yes. And he's and he's very interested in that cartridge and he likes the idea of it. And he originally thought 50 Boo-Woof was going to be the way to go, but with the, the pricing and uh, the bolt face, whatever mm. else. But because the 500 Smith and Wesson's got a nice rim on it, yep. He said, "Well, where am I going to get a pump action?" So we're looking at converting a pump action shotgun down to Category B uh, to work. So yeah, we we get all sorts of flavors, and if, yeah, if right. people can imagine it, I'll do it. Yeah, give it a crack. Yeah, why not? Sounds good to me. I like the attitude. That's good, mate. (laughs) That's good.
1: And so uh, what have you got? plan for the future? Have you got any any developments that you're you're working on? Because I know you've done a few sort of products here and there that you've released as, as
0: independent products. Yep. Um, I do a lot of work for the Australian market, well, obviously, you know, the uh, the Adler lever action shotguns. Um, sure. My current record is 13 shots on one of those. Uh, extended <laughs> magazine tube. Yep. Um, much to the dismay of many of the uh, local authorities, but there's no law against it. Uh, actually, the law specifically allows it. Mm-hmm. So um, I do a lot of the plus two tubes, which are a seven-shot, uh, capacity plus one in the breach, so it puts it back to where it was originally. Yep. And uh, as well as making a plus five tube for a twenty eight inch uh, barrel, it sits exactly flush. So it's now going to be a ten plus one capacity. Okay. Um, a lot of the IPSC shooter guys are, are very interested in those, and i have got a few of those guys. Yeah, for sure. Uh, working uh, towards that sort of a that application.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and. Um You've got, you you. do
0: conversions for 76-15 in terms of barrels as well, I've seen. Yes, I do a, lot of a, um, I do a real lot of uh, 300 blackouts. I've done, we don't really know, about 40 or 50, I think, is what I've done. Wow, yeah. Uh, that's in 300 blackout. I've obviously done, uh, I did a 22-250 for a guy, a professional reshooter. I, I work with a lot of D-class professional shooters. Yep. Um, so a lot of helicopter cullings and that sort of stuff. And one guy had an extreme amount of 250 ammo that he was able to get a hold of. <laughs> And he wanted to get rid of it the quickest way possible. So <laughs> we converted a, a pump action into a 22-250. And the first weekend, I think he got 70 roos straight up in just a, in just like a 48-hour period. And he was loving it. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, and, um Yeah, and then <laughs> it's funny you should mention that, though. The barrel itself was actually based on a Seiko A85. Okay. Uh, sorry, not uh, yeah, the Seiko 85 barrel it was actually a fluted barrel that he provided. Yep. Uh, and he said, can you do anything with this? So he did it all up. So he had a, uh, a Remington 7600 with a Seiko barrel on it. <laughs> seemed Fantastic. to work really well. In 22 to 50 pump. Yeah, of course. Why not? you hey, gotta do uh, it, do out
1: of, it. Out of interest. How did it feed out of the magazine? No problems? Yeah, perfectly. We never had a hitch with it. Yeah, um, right. Because I, I had, know 250s often don't feed great out of longer mags.
0: Yeah. Um, he provided a couple of four shots. Um, I don't know if he had any 10s. Um, yeah, four, I've, I've sold four a, probably
1: would have been okay. I've
0: sold a real lot of four shots. Um, I've even modified some of the four shots into like, you know, 15 and 16 shot capacities. Yeah, right. They tend to work the spring system on them, though, is uh, the leaf spring it's a little bit goofy um, yeah, on okay. the three hundred eight, so we tend to find, <laughs> funnily enough, uh, the three three eight federals actually work a lot better on them uh, because yeah, the, right. the the big round nose projectiles tend to not sort of uh, thump over as much. Mm-hmm. So I've built a lot of um anywhere from twenty two two fifties. Uh, I've done a two four three. Um, obviously, I've I've had three hundred eight guys have actually brought me thirty five wheelings and wanted them back down to three hundred eight. Yeah, okay. So we've done those as well. Yep. Um, three three eight federal, three five eight win. I did a three seven five oh eight. Uh, and a four five eight. So actually, I've done about ten four five eight 458 SOCOMs mm-hmm. and then converted the magazine well to take AR magazines. Yeah, of course. So um, those work quite well as well. Yeah, very good.
1: Nice, mate. Um, so you've you've obviously seen a lot of lot of builds. We we predominantly talking about precision shooting and long range sort oh, of stuff. Oh yes, I've
0: been playing close attention to this.
1: <laughs> so what have you um, uh, what have you seen in that category? You do a fair bit of work in that sort of side of things.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, I've done a fair bit of work with some F-class guys. I just finished off a um, 65 by 47 I don't care what anyone else says. You don't need to go 6 mil. Stay with 6.5. That's my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> I'll let Greg know. Oh, yes. I'm sure I'll get an earful one day. Um, I think most of what I'm seeing at the moment is a lot of guys are either um, stepping up to 7 mil. Uh, sure. For the for the F-Class guys, um, obviously the new Burger 190-grainers. Yeah, that looks pretty good. A lot of the 7 Rum uh, seven, uh, Rem Mag guys, very interested in those. Yeah, absolutely. Um, in the F-Opens and stuff like that. Um, I've heard of one guy, uh, he's planning on building, or the last I heard, he was planning on building a 7x47 Lepour. Um yeah, I'm not up. too sure how well that'd go, but he's looking at the 600-yard category. Okay. So I don't know how feasible that would be, Um but I think he liked the fact he could run very, very high pressure because of the small primer on it. Yes. So that that was uh, certainly something he was interested in, but um, I only heard of it through a, a customer. Sure. Yeah, that sounds like a, quite a, a good option. Mm. Mm. Um, I do believe the the 6 mils though, uh, started to come back around a bit in favour. They sort of died off for a while there, I believe, a few years ago. But yeah. they're certainly coming back now, um, obviously, with the 243s. Um, I still see a lot of 243s come and go. Yeah. Um, I've built a couple of 243 actually improves for for a few guys recently. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually built one up just to sort of try it out and see why everybody's sort of making a fuss over these things. Um, they certainly throw some projectiles out pretty quickly. Yeah, okay. Um, I was throwing some uh, 80 grain nozzlers at a 20, uh, sorry, 30, 3380, and I was running a very passive load on it, and it was... Yeah, it was not a problem. Performing I've, well. And I've realised I can get up to uh, 3500 without any stress on the case at all. Hey, okay. Um, yeah, okay. But I found a right. really good node at 3380. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. So it's the the opinion of that would be for most people, um, even though you're running, if you're running, a, you can run the same bullet velocity but at a lower pressure. Therefore, there's less throat erosion, so you get a higher barrel count. Okay. So that's for an Ackley. Se- for an Ackley that yep. seems to be the people's philosophy rather than actually improving it and just screaming it out as fast as possible. Sure. And making a barrel burner, which I've done in the past and it's hilarious fun. <laughs> uh, you know, trying to trying to make, you know, like mock six and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately it's you know, you don't you don't change out magazines or reload your ammo, you just change your barrel. Yeah. So that's pretty how much pretty much how you run it. I bet. So a lot of people are I've found nowadays uh, in the F Open division, if they've got the chance, are actually actually improving or semi-improving, only going to half bodies and half shoulders, okay. yep. uh, and actually running the projectiles about the same velocity, but they can use lower pressure, uh, lower pressure which means they're actually staying on the node longer. Mm-hmm. And for an F class shooter, that seems to be what they're they're, they're chasing more consistency rather than velocity. Yep. But uh, again, it's 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 different for every club. Some clubs have got different theories on and whatever else. Um, I know one club at the moment, they're running a uh, 280 Ackley Improves, which is based on the 3006. Yeah, I've seen uh, them to be popular. Uh, they are very accurate too, I've noticed. Mm. I've, um, I've got, I'm have got i halfway through a build for one at the moment, and it's it's surprisingly good, Yeah. Um, the results I've seen. So obviously when I get a chance to test that one, I'll, I may be able to let you know. Mm, but uh, it, from all the results I've seen so far, it's actually quite impressive. And those, yeah, I've never heard a bad
1: word about the 284 mm. uh, AIs, because a um, number of people run them, particularly that longer range of the F-Class sort of style.
0: <laughs> yeah, they... <laughs> It's it's not the fact that, you know, BC doesn't reign supreme. They've still got to find a very good combination for windrift and, and obviously velocity. I mean, as you guys have been talking about, I've been following the podcast, There there is a, a lot of factors that come into it. Hmm. And when you're trying to make consistent, you know, um you know, possibles or you're trying to get some really good, you know, high X counts, yep. uh, consistency is key. Yes. So if you have to sacrifice 200 feet a second, but you're incredibly consistent, Yes. that's yeah. what people will chase. And I've... Currently, I believe that's a very good way of doing it. Mm. Until someone shows me a better technique, that's currently what I think is good. Well, but, that's the
1: thing. We're always evolving, isn't it? Oh, if, we, if we asked you your thoughts two years ago, or three years ago, you'd, you'd probably be different to where it is now. Oh, it certainly, certainly would be.
0: Mine, is, mine would have been as well. Yeah, well, um, <laughs> yeah. I've, I've never liked the small calibers. No? Um, the small calibers I tend to find are a little bit, little bit barrel burnish. What, what a, do you
1: define as small, Nick?
0: Um, anything in 22 cal tends to irk me a little bit. Right. Um, I built a 22 Middlestead for a guy. Which is a 243. 22 243. Yeah. Uh, With a semi-improved shoulder. It's it's only about a three-degree improvement. Okay. Um, And we were getting, I think we were getting about 40, the last one we shot uh, was a 36-grainer it's about forty six eighty or forty seven, so I just beat Mister Andrew Noble on his efforts. Yeah, right. And, uh, eh? I was there for his when he when he built one, and we got forty six sixty eight, and I remember that. Yep. And uh, I know we just beat it. So, <laughs> <laughs> is that all you're trying to do? Uh well, we want to crack five thousand. Yeah. That's that's th- for no other reason, um, but we need more barrel. Um, a twenty four inch barrel doesn't help. Was not enough. Um, so we're looking at getting a thirty inch at some point. Uh, just really haven't had time, and obviously we want to get a nice slow. Something like a fourteen twist to to sort of lower the pressure a little bit. Yep. And there's a few other little techniques I've got which can actually increase velocity inside a chamber. So we're looking at probably implementing some of those to gain maybe a hundred feet a second if we can. So a few little few little quirks here and there which will uh which we'll probably try to pull off. And if it works really well, then we'll we'll post a video of results just to I don't know puff our chests up and say <laughs> how good we
1: are. <laughs> just to put the information out there, you mean. It, it, it's, just it's, to it's publicly an, share the
0: information for knowledge building. Yeah, it's an exercise in research. That's all it's about. It's research and development. That's exactly right.
1: Yeah, yeah. Spot on. And puff your chest out. While oh, of not. course, of course. <laughs> while you're at it. Oh, very good. And
0: so how did how did you get into shooting? How did that all come about? Um, at first, I think the first time I ever fired a gun was actually at Marksman Shooting Range in the city. Yep. Um Someone took me down to that, and that was uh, just before I entered the military, actually, when I was uh, oh, I don't know, time to do it. 19 or 20, I think, when I, when I first joined. Yes. Um, I finished my apprenticeship when I was 19, and uh, I bummed around and started contracting and I realized there was a lot more to life. So, um, between jobs, I basically joined the military. I don't know why I did that, but you know, it was, you did. Yeah, it was good. I actually enjoyed it, funnily enough. And, good. um, so that's where I first started shooting. I got to shoot um, a whole bunch of, you know, 40mm um, grenades and um, I qualified in um, the M2 uh, Browning 50 cal, uh, mm-hmm. full autos. Obviously the Minimai, um, F89s, um, F88s, which were the Gen 1s back then, I believe, um, as well as a few other things. I um, was doing, shooting the 40mm the Lumi flares and a whole bunch of other little fun things, Um yeah, it was a bit of stuff. I got. I started just playing with the Azlabs at the time, um, and then I pulled out. Is this why you don't like small calibers? Is this because of the uh, the history you've got
1: with the larger stuff?
0: It could be that I was Armored Core, cool <laughs> and we liked the big round stuff, so <laughs> big and dopey, I believe we've but just,
1: we've found out where it comes from.
0: Ah, uh, quite possibly. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, yeah. It's we could probably touch on to the personal stuff later, but uh, it's it's I don't know. It's just a bit of a passion of mine to. Uh, have it big, I guess. I don't know. I guess I'm compensating for the for the car, maybe. Maybe. Maybe Who the knows. car's small, that's it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> cool. Cool. And so from, from the military then into the civilian world, you...
0: Yeah. Um, I realized... Uh, I started my apprenticeship very early on. Um, I started when I was 15. I realized school was not for me. So as soon as I turned 15, that was out. Um, just gone and <laughs> started an apprenticeship. Um, so I qualified, uh, my first trade was a a toolmaker machinist. Yes. Um, and I started contracting at 19 and I realized the trade was dying very, very rapidly. Um, it was being taken over by CNC's. I did a lot of, um, subcontract work for Holden's and a lot of the, I could see the industry was moving quite rapidly. Um, I ended up changing into advanced fitting, um, doing a lot of shutdown work. So machine breaks, we run in fix it or over Christmas break, Easter, or when somebody is on um, holiday break for, say, two weeks, we'd run in, fix all the machines, get them all going again. Um, So that worked really well for me because I could pull a machine apart, fabricate any custom piece for it, and put it back together and, and get it back into service. And I made a living out of that for uh, almost 15 years. Yeah, right. Um, and along the ways, I picked up all my qualified welding tickets. So I've got all my advanced welding tickets. I do a lot of TIG welding on firearms, actually, uh, repairing parts where I need to mm-hmm. uh, with parent metals and things, uh, as well as hydraulics and pneumatics. Um, obviously, rebuilding a lot of machinery required all the hydraulics and pneumatics uh, shutdown of that as well. Sure. So I got into that and I got my advanced tickets in that. And um, after 15 years, I just realized that I uh, I got to a point where um, my learning curve slowed down a bit. I wasn't learning as much as I wanted to, um, so I ended up just sort of gravitating towards firearms a little bit more, mm-hmm. um, and sort of went in from there. So in the meantime, I was in and out of the army because um, I was flying around all over the country uh, with work, with shutdown work, you know, fly and fly out work or FIFO as we call it. Yeah. Um, and that worked really good, but it was getting a bit hard with the army as well because I was interstate, couldn't couldn't parade and all that sort of stuff. So I ended up getting out of it. Okay. Yeah. And that's sort of how it evolved. So. Um, once I sort of left the army, um, I stopped shooting for probably about three or four years. Yeah, right. Um, I didn't actually own a civilian license in that entire time. I didn't have a civilian license for many years. I shot with friends, yeah. um, but I never actually got a license for myself. I didn't require one. Um, and obviously, you end up getting married and kids and all sorts of other things get in the way. Life happens, eh? Yeah, but um, <laughs> so I didn't end up getting my license till I think my first kid was born. So yeah. I've only technically had a license for, I don't know, eight years, nine years now, I think. Okay. Theoretically. Um, yeah. I've I've been shooting basically since I was about eighteen, nineteen, 19. Yes. Uh, but yeah. sort of gone on from there. But yeah, that's sort of the, the history of how it all came about with, I, I guess, things along those sorts of lines.
1: Yeah, and then obviously you talked before about how, how your business started and, and it brings it into there. So if you've done hunting and that sort of gear?
0: Yeah, actually, um, as weird as it sounds, um, I do love hunting. I love hunting. I love smashing goats. Yeah, um, I only... I only shoot what I eat, um, except for foxes. Foxes, I'll shoot every day of the week, or throw rocks at them, as it might be. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Some history about that. We'll, yes, we'll touch yes. on that
1: maybe one day later.
0: <laughs> but um, I love I love shooting foxes. Um, they always put up a fight, and they're always a good challenge. Yes, um, particularly with rifles. It's 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 great shooting with a shotgun with your mates and whatever else. But um, foxes do put up a good fight sometimes, mm. um, and they also pick their ranges, and they're always covered. So you've got to, And at night shooting, so you've got to be on top of your game. Yeah, it's good um, fun. But hunting, generally speaking, I'll only shoot what I want to eat. So yep. uh, a bit of my stuff is stalking. Um, but I shoot uh, for every hundred shots, about ninety to ninety five, are at steel gongs or paper targets. Generally speaking, steel gongs. Yeah. Um, so I'll generally zero at a hundred uh, for the day. Get sure, make sure that my my zero is on, and then it's just a, a lot of practice. Uh, so when I do actually go out and shoot, um, my hit ratios. I believe it to be fairly good. I mean, I do still miss. I'm not perfect. Of course, we all um, miss. We we'll <laughs> all miss. We just don't tell we mates just, about we it. We just don't talk no, about it. No, no, no. We no we don't talk about it. Those things. Go out, go out. Two shots, buddies came back with three animals. That's how, <laughs> that's how you do it. So, but, that's um, all right. So yeah, I I enjoy going out. Um, most of my hunting's actually done with our lever actions in iron sights. Funnily enough, yeah, right. Um, I, I perfect for this podcast. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, spot I, on. I do enjoy folding goats in half with 4570s. Right. Um, or triple four Marlins. I just picked up a new triple four Marlin. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh, yeah, I've got some weird calibers like that. I don't know. I just
1: nothing wrong with that.
0: Like lever actions, so I'm, I'm sort of into it. Yep. Um, I guess because I work on some very high end quality guns, um, during the day, yes. and a lot of handguns. So I do a lot of handguns, heaps of IPSC handguns. Yeah, right. Um, yep. and because of that, I, I guess I sort of get back to basics. But when I shoot long range, I've obviously got my own, you know, sort of high end roughs. I've got a few. Um, <laughs> I've got a, I've got to have the, I've got to have the part to shoot. So of course. So uh, what, what,
1: tell me more. What, what are you doing with the long range stuff? Um
0: well've I've got a one that you guys would probably probably enjoy is a 260 um, 260 actually improved yep um, I end up throwing the one uh, the one thirty nine grain lapores um, at three oh, yeah. thousand and thirty feet a second yep um, so that definitely scoots them out there um, it's pretty accurate that works quite well um, as as weird as it sounds it doesn't quite settle down at low uh, low uh, say close range say two hundred but getting out I'm I tend to be a bit more consistent that's probably me recoil flinching but um, I shoot a three hundred eight quite regularly, just because it's fun and it's. Well, <laughs> who doesn't have a three hundred eight? Sure. Um, yeah. I've also got some some larger caliber stuff as well that steps up quite high. Yeah. Um, got some three and you know quite a bit higher than that as well. Um, all custom built and all quite long range sort of stuff. So.
1: Yeah. Yep. Nice. So you do that? Do that reasonably often? As yeah. as often as I can
0: you get out um, of the shop. Yeah. It's hard. Um, generally, customers come first, which is much to my own detriment. Um, I do try my best to get out and shoot about uh about every month or so. Yep. Uh long range. Um, it just depends, um, if I'm able to at the time. But generally long range for me is anywhere from a thousand to sixteen hundred. Yep. Um, that's generally sort of where I shoot. Um I'm happy to shoot the three oh eight out to about a thousand, about 11, 1,100. then it really starts to taper off. Sure. Uh, but anything longer than that, uh, same with the same with the um 6.5, I tend to find it gets a little bit skaty about sort of the 12 to 14 range, it, depending on the wind. Um, I actually tend to find um, the heat in the day affects it quite a bit. So if it's cooler yeah. in the day, yeah. um, and first thing, and obviously where I shoot um, by nine o'clock in the morning, it's about 40 degrees, uh, one of the properties I shoot at. Sure. Because it's a big open spot and the sun. The first part of the day comes <laughs> and looks at you. Yes. Um, so we get out there really early in the morning or we get out there really late at night. Yeah. Um, but it, it can affect it quite rapidly. Yeah, Absolutely.
1: Now, you, you you get to work on all sorts of all sorts of actions and I mean, barrels and that sort of gear. Have you got any sort of preferences? Is there some stuff you really
0: like at the moment? Um, I like working on Remington or Remington clones. Right. Um, I generally consider them the Barbie doll for men uh, because there's there's <laughs> so much you can do to them. There's so many aftermarket bits for them. Yes. Uh, you've got fantastic stock selection. Yep. So if you want an aluminum chassis, you want a tubes, uh, tube chassis set up, or you want um, you know, uh, fiberglass stocks, or even some really good quality wood stocks, even the cheap lower-end ones. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've got all that covered. Um, obviously, uh, the action itself can be accurized um, basically as far as you want it to go. Um, most of the accuracy work I do nowadays is actually on Remington 700s. Yep. Rather than people trying to buy in um, a large, uh, say, a Defiance, Pierce, um, whatever it might be, um, the turnaround time for those is... Is horrific. Yeah. So that's why most people end up buying a, an action. Mm-hmm. Um, we look over it, and then we start accurising from there. We'll flare the ejection port, side bolt release, um, put a really large recoil lug on it, pin that out. Um, obviously, do the, the bolt work. We'll put a 16 extractor on it. Um, obviously, you've got aftermarket triggers. Um, awesome amount of Picatinny rails. If you want a zero up to, I think about 45 is about the biggest I've seen on the shelf. But I yeah, know okay. there are guys who run bigger customs. Um, some guys run upwards of... I think forty sevens about the highest I've heard. Um, that guy's running on a. Ticker, but I think there's a little bit higher than that. There is, yeah. yeah. I've certainly
1: seen up to 60 MOA on a, oh, well, on a well, rail. Oh, wow, so, and, and more. I know custom guys get them for those sort of three kilometer guns. They, yeah, yeah. With well all they, sorts of stuff that, and that they run. They have
0: rings that are built on ladders. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's right. Absolutely. Platform <laughs> rings. Yep. Yeah, nice. Um, I tend to, um, I do a lot of work with Howells at the moment. Uh, yep. the, the price boat seems to be very, very good, and you can buy a barreled action brand new with no stock. Yes. So that actually saves people a few dollars to, if they want to. Uh, Choose their stock and put it on from there. Yeah, it makes um, sense
1: if you're going to change if you're going to change your stock straight away. What yep. and you can get one without one.
0: Oh, exactly. Um, and the best thing about how I my personal opinion is, um, they're actually based on the old Seiko L uh, 579s Okay,
1: they're actually
0: yeah. the same action, uh, just restamped. Japan bought the entire factory. Yeah, right. So they are built on Seiko, so they're very very good for what they are. Mm. Uh, the original ones so they've they've changed them over the years now they're, so there are a few differences. They actually got sued for it, <laughs> so that, <laughs> okay. they should right they, I think they copied them too well. um so I do a lot of accuracy work on those. They respond very, very well um and they're out of the box. they just shoot so well. I've noticed mm. um, I tend to find the best trigger out of a lot out of a factory gun would be a ticker um yep. uh, the factory triggers uh Timonies don't even make triggers for them anymore they yes. stop they stop making them, so that I found quite surprising. It's really hard to get a replacement. Trigger for a ticker. Ah, yes. I know there's some. something I'm working on. But it's hard. Yeah. Y- yeah they, there's, not there's not many. There's not many. We can certainly, pl- I mean, I've played with tickers a fair bit. And I've got oh, them you can get their trigger to, good, can't you? Oh, I've had them down to about eight ounce. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> They end up getting a little bit scary, um, but <laughs> it, it is nice to change a few little parts out. Or, um, the biggest problem I find is changing the fulcrum because um, that way you don't get any slam fires. Sure. Um but tickers themselves are very good barrels. They're, their barrels I believe are better than some of the aftermarket barrels. Mm. Um, but their actions themselves are just woefully made. They're terrible. Uh, tickers are just do not like at all. <laughs> okay. They, they don't respond well to accuracy. Um I'm as you would know, one of the custom builds i built for someone uh in 22250, it uh I can certainly make them work. Yeah. But they do have to have a lot of work. Um, a common thing I do is actually put a Remington style uh Recall lug around it.
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Because the recall lugs on the tickers are not. It adds a lot of it adds a lot of bearing surface. We yeah. go
0: from basically a three mil interference fit uh, on the um, where the receiver fits into the stock on the aluminium lug. Yes, there's three millimeters of clearance. Oh, sorry, there's three millimeters of interference on there. Yes, and we put that up to a um, a really large recall lug, and we turn that into twelve mil so yeah, okay. it, it's it's a lot more surface area so it's you know it's basically a 400% increase in bearing surface yep. um and it's all all the way around the barrel rather than um just in one area being localized so it actually yes. reduces stress on the um uh, on the action screws as well so doing little things like that certainly does help it quite a lot um i don't like the fact they're a mid length action they're either too <laughs> long for a short action or too short for a long action their throats are really deep you can't set your projectiles that far. There's just so many little things like that that just irk me about them. Their thread size is odd. It's a metric diameter with an imperial thread. Right. And that's just dumb. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, things yep. things like that, they just don't seem well thought out. Yep. Um... But saying that um, they they shoot well, they they do shoot well. Like I said, their barrels are excellent. Um, Yeah, they do shoot well. Once you do accurise them and you you change them up a little bit, I mean, I've certainly had you know I've had some um, you know quarter MOA group five shots. We can we can certainly make them sing with a factory barrel. They do work. Yeah, Uh, but to really get them into that really small group range, you do have to put a fair bit of money into them because I tend to find other guns you don't have to put as much. Yeah right. So it's horses for courses.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And and um, I'm I'm very curious to know, um, perhaps for Greg's sake, when he buys it, if he's going to buy this defiance, or no, we've ordered them, haven't we? Oh yeah, yeah, um, the,
0: yeah. There's four. <laughs> Actually,
1: I'll better get one too. five. Five. Thanks, five. thanks Greg. <laughs> um, of the uh, of those sort of aftermarket actions, what's your preference to? That you've seen working well, oh, with that's, or that's
0: um, I currently tough have questions. Tell you what, when I get one down, it's being sent over very shortly. Um, it's already in the country. Yep, a mousing field. Ah, oh, right. We've got one of the first mousing fields coming over for a for a full build, which is actually going to be a two eighty two eighty Ackley. Yeah, right. Uh, for an F class shooter, so that's going to be quite interesting. He's using a uh, a true flight mm-hmm. seven mil barrel. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a thirty two inch. So they're, it's, Z-
1: they're in New Zealand, are not they? New Zealand, correct? Yeah, cool. Yes, yes.
0: Um, I played with a fair few of those. Um, even though they're button rifled, I remember you having to talk about the button rifle nothing, no, I think we established there's nothing wrong with button rifle. Uh, there, there's two there's... trains of thought on barrels. Yeah, If you're running a cut rifled barrel, yes. you don't have uh, the initial stresses put into the barrel. So it actually follows the contour of the barrel very, very well. That's right. Yep. Um, when you uh, make a button rifle barrel, you have to do uh, post-stress relieving before you can do anything to relieve all the stresses. Yes. Um, and bad quality steel tends to unwind like a corkscrew. It does actually wind itself out a little bit, and you can actually... You can't see it with a naked eye, but you can actually measure mm-hmm. um, differences in the barrel. We, we use things called range rods, and uh, we drop them down the barrel, and they've got very, very tight fits, and they, they won't actually fit through on certain brand barrels. Okay. So little things like that we can actually detect, and so we can... Then we can actually start pressing them to uh, to straighten them up, which is it's actually quite a common technique that uh, factories actually use to straighten barrels. Yeah, right. Shotguns have done it for years. Sure. Um all that sort of stuff so um, the true flights are very very good they're they're hand lapped um, one of them hand lapped yep and I've never shot a bad one. Uh, incidentally Madco barrels mm-hmm. all button rifled yep and every accuracy international rifle is made with a Madco. yeah right so uh, good old Neville back in the day was from England he came back over and he started a Neville Madden sight Madco and yep. yeah he um his biggest uh, client is actually AI. Yeah, wow. And so all the uh, all the barrels are actually made on those. Yeah, I'm well right. that that was the last figure I heard. Whether they've sourced otherwise, but sure. Last I heard last year, they're still doing it. Yeah, okay. Because
1: I know Mad- Madco's are certainly rate very highly. You know, oh, I've never, never shot a bad one. No, never same. shot a
0: bad one. They are very very good barrels. Yeah,
1: absolutely. They just they got hard to get for quite a while. They did because they had a big contract to fulfil. Yeah, so it's funny that. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> it's amazing how things like that work. Sure. Yeah, nice. I will say though that a few years ago, hmm. Madco did have a very bad batch of barrels. Uh, yep. Their steel they actually imported. Um, the barrels actually split.
1: Yeah, they right. were shooting
0: someone. They split and they put it down to the quality control of the barrels they were buying was actually the the cause of the problem. There wasn't the workmanship it was actually there. Uh, the steel actually failed the test. Uh, uh, it, it shouldn't have passed QC, but it came out. So it was nothing to do with them. Yeah, but right. They did recall quite a few barrels, from what I understand, fifty to sixty barrels. But now all good. Oh, that was years ago. That was from what I understand, eight to ten years ago. Yeah, okay. so It was a long, long time ago. But they. So if you, if
1: you put off Madco barrels, maybe give them another crack.
0: Yeah, I, um, I can vouch for them. They are very, very effective barrels. They are very, very good shooters. They, Like I said, I've never shot a bad one. They, yep. they always work. Excellent. But you haven't asked my
1: question. You, you've talked about the field, but we've, we've strayed to barrels. What, what
0: about <laughs> actions? Where are you sitting with those? Um, I've built a couple of Pierce. They're, they're always good. Um, I've they're never, well priced, actually, aren't they? They are actually. They're very, very good. On they don't get as much credit as people should give them. Sure. Um, they're always good. Obviously, Stiller is 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 a large one in Australia. Stiller yeah. have always uh, been in and out. Um, I've got a couple of those. Uh, shot some Pierce. Uh, what else have I built on recently? Surgeons. Yeah. Um, I built one surgeon. Um, I built one bat. Yep. Um, the biggest factor comes down to price. A lot of those sorts of, of guys. Course. Yeah. Um, that seems to be the issue. Um, build a couple of Barnards here and there. Um, they're always good. Yeah. Um, triggers are very funky on them. Okay. Do they do they take the normal Remington style trigger? Or they... No, no. They've got their own special proprietary okay. one that, that that works quite well. Yep. Um, when you see them, their bolts are actually quite large. Yes. Yeah. The bolts are the, actually the same diameter as the uh, the locking lugs the whole way down. So it's uh, it's quite a good it's quite a good action. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never I don't have any problems with them. Um, the ones that I've done have all been single feeds. Yep. Um. That's just the style of shooting that people, of course, that, that people Use that choose that sort to of do. Stuff. Yeah. Okay. Um. But there's but there's been a smattering of other some of these. Uh, there was one action I hadn't even heard of before, and I can't even remember what it was. Um. Some some action that someone imported and spent all this time getting it. It Cost him about two and a half thousand dollars. And yeah, when we got the thing to shoot, it was it was a little interesting trying to get it to work at first. Yep. Um. So he we, we found a few little uh, root causes. So he ended up pulling it apart, changing one little style of the way I machined something, and sorted that out. And then obviously. You know, went, same loads went straight back to where it should have been. Yeah, uh, okay. just, just little things like that sometimes. The, the way we fit things together can be a bit different. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, I guess I've probably done most of the actions that people know of, as as most gunsmiths would have. Sure. Um, with their salt. So... But uh, I tend to find most of them are about as good as each other. Yep. Um, any aftermarket one, they're, they're very high quality. It's going to come down to a lot of personal preference, the way you like comes the bolt down, or this or that. Comes down to options. If you want like a six degree, six degree lift, thirty degree lift, um, you can obviously get some that are very very small, like um, some of the pull actions, like on the the Browning. Morrell. Um, Morels, sorry. Yeah. Um, they're obviously. Uh, I've I've even worked on some of those. Some guys have wanted some you know custom modifications onto those and. You know, So there's all sorts of flavors of actions out there that, that seem to work. Um, yep. It's really up to what the guy thinks is going to work for him at the time. Brilliant. Um, most of what I see, though, is generally speaking, the, the two-lug setup. Mm-hmm. Occasionally you get some some of the Seiko 85s and things like that, the three-lugs. Um, but most of the time you end up getting the, the, the two-lugs setup, And realistically, most of them are about the same. If they're built on a Remington, they're all very, very good. Yep. So it's like it's, you're just chasing options if you want a pinned rail from the factory or not. Yeah. Um, okay. All but then. I end up pinning them anyway. So yeah. it's you know it, yep. it's a moot point really.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. Now the other thing that I know you mentioned and I know you do is sara coating. Yes. Um, which I'm a big fan
0: of. But tell us why that would be uh, for those who don't know why it's a useful thing. Sara coating. Um, for those who don't know, sara coating is a ceramic based paint. Um, for some of the more senior people, they might know it as sort of like a baked on enamel finish it's uh, got some very tiny ceramic particles in it it's got two parts that mix up and we bake it in an oven um, yeah. so there's a lot of surface preparation that goes into it um i generally like it because of the the color range that you can get there's i think there's about 60 70 colors i think they're up to yeah, right. some some Huge. vast array some gloss some black uh some not got about three different blacks so there's black and there's black and there's another black <laughs> um, which is good Have you got blacker yeah yeah pretty yeah. much mix so yeah, them all we, we, we can put a bit more black in that one Excellent. so um the reason I like Cerakote is because it's very, very hard wearing. Yeah, it's also inert to basically any chemical I've ever thrown at it, or your typical, um, you know, your Hops Number Nines or your Vortex or anything like that. It's, it's never really had anything eat away at it like uh, some of the other finishes I've seen. Sure. Um, and because of that, and it's also very, uh, very rust resistant as well. So, um, <laughs> I struggle with this a lot. Tell guys if they go out, they have their one yearly hunting trip. They get their gun, they service and they shoot it all and they get ready to go out. and Then they come back and they've had a great, you know, high five of their mates and they've got a, you know, nice big stag or a buck or they've shot, you know, 10,000 rabbits. Yeah. They they bore snake out their, their barrel or they do something else with it yeah. and they put it back in the cupboard yeah. and they haven't pulled it out of the stock and cleaned under it and there's still dirt and grudging. And then they come back to me the next year and they go, oh, by the way, I've noticed all this rust under the barrel and my magazine doesn't work properly. Um, Cerakote. Will help alleviate that a lot. Yes, yeah, <laughs> a huge time. amount. It's it's at the end of the day, it's still a painted surface. It's still going to wear off. It's still going to, um, you know, it will scratch. But it is a lot more wear resistant than anything else.
1: They, they take a fair fair amount of heat, though. It
0: does, and it's yeah. also um, very good under heat as well. So it's not going to peel or discolor when you put any sort of heat through it. So, if for some reason you do run a small barrel and you run a, um, uh, for a lot of the pump action rifle guys. Um, they just want to stay black, or well, some guys have got a, a very dark grey colour. Yep. Um, and thirty-five wheel, if they if they pump, you know, four rounds out of that very quickly in a little tiny sporter barrel, it's the size going to heat up quick, size isn't of the it? Pencil. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen some of those things <laughs> get pretty toasty. <laughs> um, so it works very, very well under under some very stressful conditions. Yeah, I tend to find. Yeah, so that's brilliant. why that's why I'm a fan of it. Plus the colour range, um, a lot of the IPSC handgun guys, oh, I yeah, do a lot of a yeah. uh, duotone tone so a lot of masking mm-hmm. um, and stuff like that. So a lot of, uh, you know. Special color combinations and things, so that seems to work quite well. Brilliant. So you've, you, I mean, you've,
1: you told us you've worked on heaps of different stuff and all sorts of um, different types of guns and that sort of gear. Have you? What's your gut feel for where the industry is heading in the future?
0: That that's a good question. It's really hard to say. It's one of those things that I I tend to think that the long range category, I'm I'm having more and more customers every week come in. Asking about long range. Asking about how do I get into long range? What gun do I need for long range? What equipment do I need? Yeah. And they might bring in a gun and say, "I've have just bought this, um, say uh, Remington 783, and it's you know in the plastic stock where you can twist the fore end." And they they get it. They get a cheap uh, a cheap scope on it, and they've bought the whole thing with a gun bag, a pack of ammo. It costs them a thousand bucks with a bipod. Yep. And I can honestly say, God bless those people, because they've gone out, they've bought something that they think is good. And they like it, and they go out, and they shoot, and they practice, and they practice, Absolutely. and they practice, and they practice. Then they realize, this trigger is not going to work for me. Yep. And then they upgrade their trigger. And then they go out, and they say, this is going really good, but this stock's got too much flex in it. So I tend to find that most people are trying to get more into long range. That's what I'm seeing. Yep. Um, there are obviously, there's still a lot of hunters. There's a lot of guys shooting handguns. Um, a lot more people are getting into handguns. I've noticed a lot of people are getting into handguns. Yeah, right. Uh, people have been shooting for many, many years. They just want to try something different. Yep. Um, I tend to find the the shotgunning crowd. I do a lot of work on shotguns as well. Um, uh, lengthening, forcing cones, three inch uh, three inch chambers. Um, obviously, uh, the porting on the barrels. Uh, sometimes inserting uh, mercury dampeners. Actually, can't have mercury on aeroplanes anymore. So we use the uh, the spring recoil dampeners. Right. Also, yep. <laughs> so we've got to work around things like that for our uh, inter uh interstate customers and things like that so i tend to find that a lot of people from all sorts of varieties are actually getting into um pistol shooting which i found very unusual um but yeah the the average guy who's been shooting quite a while in his hunting they want to learn how to shoot further they don't want to shoot a you know um shooting a beer can at 200 meters is for a lot of these guys a very big feat sure It, it seems quite unusual and I commend these guys for actually practicing that and trying that and then pushing their limits and seeing where they want to go. But a lot of guys come in and they say, Oh, you know, I shot a really, really fast shot. I, you know, I shot this fox at, you know, say 300 meters. And, oh, it was a brilliant shot. No one else could do that. And going, well, I'm, I'm really happy for you. Yeah, uh, but real- I, am, I am aware that guys do shoot a little bit further than that. <laughs> and they start getting amazed at when, you know, when you're trying to shoot goats at seven, eight, 900 And yeah. uh, they, they just are freaked out by it. They, they, they've never heard of anybody shooting that far. Um, so I've got a a couple little video montages on my phone and things like that Um, I've got one of me shooting um, 1620 meters uh, just at a steel gong Um, okay admittedly it took me four shots to get on target and I'll I'll wear that Um, you know and there's another time I was shooting a 308 long range in 40k an hour winds just to see what would happen and that was you know 1300 meters just to see what was happening and and people are amazed by this they've just never heard of anything so they, they love pushing themselves now I tend to find people are pushing their limits yes that yeah, seems so. that seems to be what people are doing they're pushing what they and also pushing what their equipment can do. Yep. There's uh it's amazing how much a minor change can make something shoot a ton better with the same ammo. It's, it's still surprising. Yeah, absolutely. I've seen that particularly triggers. I've triggers are a very major part. Yeah. It's uh it's it's the part that you physically manipulate to make the gun work. Yeah. It, it's it's like having a gas pedal in the car. If you're not using it it doesn't matter how good you are with the gear stick or the steering wheel. It's not going to go. It doesn't matter. So If it does
1: go, you're in trouble.
0: And if you've got a really sticky accelerator, you're going to have a bad day. Yeah. So if you have a bad trigger, <laughs> it, you're not going to release the most potential out of yourself or the firearm. Well, I've got a question for you there, Nick. Sure. If, if you're
1: going to... You've seen it all sorts of... All manner of gun, and You've seen all manner of shooters <laughs> getting Fortunately, <in>. yes. <laughs> all manner of shooters. And, and let's, let's head down that long-range sort of path. If you're going to recommend to a guy what they're going to start out with and let's say we've got to be budget-minded so be conservative but as we know this long-range game gets expensive over time and and once guys are getting into it and realizing their equipment uh, needs to be upgraded or changed or or adjusted or whatever in due course um, but they want to get into it to start with where are you going to suggest what are they going to start with? What's your suggestions
0: around that? <laughs> a, I know it's a tough th- question. That right? sounds like a loaded question to me. <laughs> um, I would say, um, as as a lot of people, I tend to find the first thing they want to do is they go. I even had a a, a wonderful guy. Um, he's a good customer of mine. Actually, he's a really nice guy. He spoke to me today, and he's going, oh, "I want to get want to get big. I want a three threat Lepour." I said, yeah. "Why?" And he goes, "I just I just want a big three throughout Lepour." I said, "Is it to basically brag to your mates?" He goes, yeah. yeah I just want the biggest gun." I said, "Well, that's that's not big. I've got bigger than that. It's um, as big as you want to go. We can probably get out there. Yeah. Um, but I said it's not going to be feasible. I said if you're shooting beer cans at 200 meters, that's a very expensive beer can you're shooting. That <laughs> um, I think it's somewhere in the vicinity of about five dollar notes you're throwing out the barrel. And well, if you're buying factory, it's a lot more than that. Yeah. Well, there you go. Mm-hmm. So um, I tend to find my general advice of, of guys who are new to the sport, what I consider uh, long range shooting. Um, yeah. I tend to call it field shooting. Yes. Um, obviously." You know, if you guys want to call it precision rifle or things like that. But um, I tend to find most guys, I don't call it sniper or tactical. No. Cause a lot, uh, actually, a lot of customers hate tactical. They yeah. hate the word. And they go, what does tactical mean? I'm like, well, I don't really know. I think it means functional. <laughs> if it's functional for you, yes. then it's tactical. Because what works for you is not the same for someone else. So this that's why true. everybody thinks it's different. That's
1: I could be right or wrong. I don't care. Um, I think like, field field rifle field shooting is uh, the longer range sort of field, field stuff. Is, it, is an appropriate way of saying it. Yeah. yeah.
0: So I tend to steer people if they're completely unsure and they don't really know, yep. and they want to buy a new gun. Generally speaking, I'll start with a cartridge, which will be three hundred eight. Yep. Three hundred eight. We know will shoot out to a thousand. They've got F clash that shoots. It out. does. Yeah. And I've and beyond. And I've I've gone out to thirteen hundred uh, in in really still winds and really nasty winds. Uh, that's about as far as I can. Fourteen hundred is about the the realistic limit, which is. Further than most people have ever, or even will shoot in their in their careers, yeah. They might get a you know an odd shot here and there, but you know, it's only going to be one day in their life. Um, so I generally speak with three hundred eight. The reason I do that, it's a standardised bolt face of a four point four seven three inch bolt face, mm-hmm. which means if they do want to rebarrel down to say a two sixty yep. or a two four three um, or say a six and a half by forty seven Lapua, sure, um, or anything along those sorts of lines, they've got a lot of flexibility, um. There are actually a few guys getting into the 6.5 sounds, uh, short-action mags. Yes. And yeah, good. depending on the type of gun that they get, we can redo the bolt face, and we can still have the short-action and still accommodate for that. Yep. So, generally speaking, I say a short-action in 308 is a very good starting point. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of thirty cal projectiles to choose from. Yes, Brass is. is very, very cheap. There's a lot of factory ammo. If they want to start doing it that way and then build up their supply of brass to start reloading. Um, and 308's a good performer. Think of it like... Think of it like your first Gemini car. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not super, not really good. Sometimes it lets you down a bit, but really, at the end of the day, it, it's fairly reliable for what they are, and if it doesn't work, you hit it with a hammer. <laughs> and that's pretty much the... So, if it
1: still doesn't work, you get a bigger
0: hammer. Yeah, yeah. pretty much. It's I mean, with the right tools, I can fix anything. With the wrong tools, give me 10 minutes. <laughs> so that's pretty much the philosophy with 308 when you're reloading. Just put a yep. recipe in it. They seem to work. Um, then, once they've got that, the, the foundations, yep. then I'll say, get into obviously start looking at triggers. Yes. um, And then after that, start looking at muzzle brakes. Yep. Once they've got those basic bolt-ons done, this is providing they've got a fairly capable scope. Um, Generally speaking, up to 1,000, I I recommend minimum of about 16. Generally, the 18 times about where I'd say minimum. Yep. I know a lot of guys that'll shoot with 14s and stuff like that, and and it certainly does work. Mm. Um, But i found with new shooters, um, their confidence level may not be as high with lower zoom. Yep. Um, But then a lot of guys fall into the, the traps of Overscoping themselves, and when they recall, they can't see the t- even at five, six hundred meters when they're running a you know thirty six or a, one of the Nico Sterling like fifty power scopes or something. Yeah. They, yes, they they just can't see the target. They recall and they're just gone. They can't see anything. Yeah, they're off. Yeah. So I tend to find overscoping is also a very large problem mm. um, for new shooters. But Certainly I, seen that. before I tend to poke them in the uh, something in the say the six to eighteen category. They can still hunt with a six to eighteen. They can still shoot with it effectively off a Ute at say you know hundred meters six powers. Great for shooting, you know, shooting foxes. It works really well at night. Yep. Um, But they've still got the flexibility if they want to, you know, punch up to say 18 or or somewhere around that that vicinity. Yes. Um, It works quite well. So if they, you know, the next morning they want to have a bit of a a bragging session and they, you know, they put a a common one is actually get an old uh, cardboard box, put a couple of rocks in it Mm -hmm. and put some paper on it and just go out and shoot it and have someone spotting it, say, you know, 500 meters. And uh, then you go up and you see who's hit it, see who hasn't. Yeah, and that's a bit of fun. If you don't have a steel target, cardboard boxes always work. Yeah, that's um, true. And that way, you have to you got to see the dirt kick up and whatever else. But as you know, it's it's a quick and effective way of doing it. But I'd say 308 for new shooters and pick a platform that they're comfortable with. But I tell them to look at the aftermarket gear first um, yeah, before so- they even decide on the brand. Yep. They generally pick the cartridge and then they'll pick the uh, 300 Win Mag is also a very good caliber. Yep. Um, but uh, new shooters, are will always point in 308 just because of the recoil yeah, factor. Yeah, absolutely. Understand. Um, and it's cheaper to reload as well. Um, but then I also s- specifically say look at the aftermarket kit. So if they want to have a look at a Hauer, yeah. uh, say let's just have a look at a couple of stocks that are available. Let's have a look at some triggers. Let's have a look at some Picatinny rails. Um, what can we do with uh, the bolt? Can you, we buy an aftermarket firing pin? Can we sleeve it down uh, to make some you know, um, 62000 firing pins for high pressure? Um, and I'll walk them through the entire process, and then they'll have a look and say, well, that's really good. Um, But realistically speaking, most of the time at the moment, most guys are going for Remington 700s. Yes. um, Because they can upgrade them incrementally. So they might get the bolt to me yep. one day, and then I'll we'll put a, uh, a tactical bolt knob on it. And by tactical, I mean something that works. <laughs> I was just going to call that, you on that. Something that works in their hand. So we'll actually sit there, and we'll thread it, and we'll try a couple of different bolt knobs and see what suits their hand. Yeah, cool. Um, or often their conditions. Um, one of my customers only shot um, at night when it was quite cold. Yep. So we put a, a quite a heavy knurl on the outside of it that he could actually grab. Uh, he had um, With gloves? Gloves, but yeah. he had uh, one finger missing, for obviously, for his trigger finger. Yep. Um, and he had a um, one of those heat packs in his pocket. So he okay. put his he put his finger in his uh, on on the heat pack uh, for a couple of seconds, yep. um, and then he'd, he'd go and take a shot. Yeah, right. And so we'd actually put the uh, the grip on the the bolt knobs because he, he found it easier to grab and cycle better through the gloves. So you know we'll obviously tailor it along those sorts of lines. So then we'll have a look at you know um, if they're shooting in very dirty conditions such as in the field, we'll have a look at um, spiral fluting the bolt yep. um, to clear the dust and, and things like that. But I, I tend to find I'll start them off at a a, a basic level. Generally speaking, a three hundred eight, and depending on their brand loyalty, it's different for every person. It's hard to say on that sort of. Sort if of topic. you
1: if you picked one,
0: would... uh, generally Remington seven hundred, just because of the amount of parts you can get for them, very readily available, yeah, uh, and they're they're quite well known, and a lot of the quality aftermarket are made for that. So of course that or a Howa or a, whether it be Vanguard series two, which are the same same um, gun. Um, I tend to find both of those uh, respond very well to accurizing. They cool. work very very well. The only benefit of the hower comes with the M16 extractor built in from the factory, which is yeah. a very, very nice option. It's very, very good. Um, and they're cheap, but they don't come with a good stock. So you have to start looking at that, that, that straight away. You have to do that straight yeah, away. and That's a fair point. And with a scope on top. Um, and I always say, figure out how much you want to spend on a rifle. Yeah. Add 500 bucks. And then, like basically, that's worth the scope. So if you spend a thousand dollars on a rifle, you want to spend 1, a, about on the scope. 50, yeah, yeah, somewhere about that sort of margin. Yeah. So when guys look at spending about two thousand dollars on a rifle, and then they sort of put work into it, and they go, "That's like two and a half thousand dollars for a scope," and then I'll show them some of mine, and they go, "Here's a here's a cheap scope that you know maybe a a, a lower end." you know, brand, whatever it might be yep. um, in sort of the, the three to nine category or the, you know, the um, six to 18s or whatever it might be. And they go, oh, these are really good. And then I put it next to a, you know, two and a half thousand dollar scope and they're like, yeah, you can take that one away now. <laughs> <laughs> so they, they can clearly see the value in the dollar. Um, yep. But it is, it's, it's a shock for them when mm. they can start making out detail or power lines, um, you know, from quite a distance away. And that's when they realize it, it certainly does help. It's them. worthwhile. And showing them first, second focal planes, all that sort of stuff yeah. as well
1: always been a big uh, advocate for buying a good scope. And even if you're only buying one scope, even across a couple of guns, buying I, uh, one
0: really good scope. I still rock a, a Night Force NSX, yep. five and a half to 22, um, with a MLR. I'm a, I'm a mill guy. I don't care what Sean says. Mill is the way to go. You
1: know, Sean, uh, we're referencing Sean from uh, from STS there, but he um, uh, he's releasing mill targets. I don't know if you've seen them. Oh,
0: I was someone who was pestering him about it. Yeah, good, good. <laughs> no, no. So um, I generally like I only like mill I can work in either the natively I can actually use m o eight quite perfectly um i've I've worked in inches in Imperial for most of my tool making life yeah uh, because all the holdens and a uh, Fords are actually obviously coming from America all Imperial yeah so and a lot of obviously a lot of firearms are all in Imperial, so I natively count in uh, Imperial in foul and stuff so it 's never been a problem for me, so I can actually chop and change and it yep. it irks a lot of people <laughs> it, it actually aggravates people how I can do it or I can make a call in mill or MOA for them, depending on what they're shooting on the fly, Yes, even though I still shoot in mill. Yep. Um, I shoot mill mainly because I find it easy, and it's it's metric. It's quite easy to think about Sure. once you've learnt the system. Of uh, course. It, it's not very hard at all. A lot of people think it's daunting, No. but uh, I tend to find it's quite comfortable to, to use, and that's why I do it. Very good. Now, I, I, we may have already covered this, but I'm going to ask you anyway.
1: Can you give us one piece of advice that you can give to those listening? No matter what level that are, that the thing that you've found most useful in your shooting career, um, in terms of a skill based thing, something they can uh, people can take away from, what's the
0: most important skill? <laughs> it's hard to get practice, but practice is number one. Yeah. Um. But it's quality practice. That's the biggest thing I tend to find. Um. One of the main things I I do tell people, um, is it <laughs> as corny as it sounds, make love to your trigger.
1: <laughs> you might want to clarify that for I'll us. I'll clarify that by good. saying
0: um, my my current belief, and I'm, I'm quite happy to be taught differently, mm-hmm. um, most of the shot, once you've got a rifle that shoots, about I tend to see about 70-75% of the shot is trigger control. Yep. If you don't have good quality trigger control, um, it's not going to work for you. If you don't have a good quality trigger, it's not going to work. I tend to um. I generally tend to say to people if they've got a centerfire rifle, um, you're quite happy to dry fire those, or um, you can run snap caps or anything along those sorts of lines. Sure. Um, one thing which should be practiced quite extensively, uh, in my opinion, it, it, you can either do it by yourself or do it uh, with friends. Um, if you can get a sticky dot, say a little orange, yellow sticky dot, or even a piece of masking tape. and put it down as far as you... So if your feet are hanging by the front door, um, and then you put it down the hallway or even in in your backyard, uh, put a sticky dot, run your your scope as low as possible, Mm -hmm. but enough so that you can still make out the dot. Get yourself comfortable on the rifle and get it so the crosshairs line up with the dot perfectly. Close your eye very very lightly, fire the gun, open your eye. You should be still on that dot. You should be perfectly on that dot without moving or recalling. You shouldn't have to flinch. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And don't squint your eye, just close both eyes if you have to, Um, but practice. And the other thing with cycling your bolt, don't pull your bolt up and pull it the whole way back, just up, pull it back about two mil, and then back down again. That's uh, as weird as it sounds. Um, getting, uh, you can obviously get muscle memory for cycling the bolt, but if you've got a snap cap, you're going to kick it out and it's yeah. going to get a bit annoying. Yeah, um, true,
1: because I, I do actually, I, I obviously know you can pull that bolt up and straight back down to, to trust your trigger, but if I'm working on my movement and drive firing, I'll
0: actually cycle the bolt the whole way for that muscle memory. I know one guy, uh, he actually runs uh, 10 snap caps in his magazine just to yep. practice full cycle to make sure he's got clear ejection. So Not a bad it, it, idea well he's also practicing his practicing his feeding so that way if he notices yes. anything catch, he can fix it before he's out in the field, so every magazine's all been you know cleaned and deburred and and, and whatever he needs to yeah but um to answer the question, dry fire practice yes. with a center fire, it is absolutely imperative that people do dry fire practice. I did it for weeks on end, and it's it's amazing how much your game improves. it really does make a difference mm. um. The next biggest thing is actually getting a bubble level, making sure your rifle's level. sounds yep. really stupid, but there's no point practicing it. If you're getting comfortable on the rifle, it turns out you're lining up against the fence, which is on an angle. So if Because then you're teaching your body and your cheek to be in a different position. So yep. make sure you've got it vertical. Um, so whether you have a bubble level or um, or even, as weird as it sounds, a, a plumb bob or um, a, a nice piece of string with a with a weighted washer or something on the end of it, and then line your reticle up with that. So yep. line your crosshairs up with a hanging piece of string because that way you know it's going to be vertical. And yep. then again, same concept, dry fire, make sure in exactly the same spot.
1: Spot on fantastic nick well thank you very much for coming in tonight and sharing your uh, thoughts and your experiences not a problem
0: it's, all, it's always fun
1: and people can find you we'll put your link to your website in the uh show notes not and a i'm sure people will be able to get in touch with you if they need your services
0: no worries no problem too big and no issue too small no, that's right never never say no so far i'm sure i'm sure there'll be a time someone comes to me with a funny product that i say no to um, I'll be impressed. I'll give, you, I'll give you a high five. If someone comes to me with a bizarre job, I may even give you a free bottle opener, just for providing it's not like some stupid Canon. Uh, funnily enough, I'm actually building a cannon for a customer right now. <laughs> okay. Yes. Well, we might leave that for a future episode. No mate. <laughs> worries.
1: Sounds good. But um, So thanks, guys, for listening, and um, hope you've enjoyed that chat with Nick, and we look forward to it, uh, hearing your feedback on it, and uh, we'll catch you next time. Thank you
0: thanks for listening to the precision shooting podcast to continue the discussion check out our facebook page and for more information head to our website www.precisionshootingpodcast.com.au this episode was brought to you by impact dynamics advanced training for the precision shooter